turn with me over to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12. We're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that allows us to see Jesus in an unusual, unusual light. The title of the message is The Observant Christ. The Observant Christ. Will you stand as we read the word today? Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came in and put two small copper coins, which amount to a cent, 40, 43. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, 44, for they, put in, uh, they, put, they all put in out of the surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Lord, help us as we study your word and help us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Three things here. Jesus sits and watches. A widow comes to contribute, and Jesus then instructs. The background to this passage is it, it, uh, it is just about the middle of the last week of Jesus' life on the planet before he's crucified. He came into Jerusalem a day and a half before. People were excited about his presence, thinking him to be the Messiah, and that he was going to unseat Herod. He was going to throw, overthrow Pontius Pilate, who was the regional governor, and ultimately get Caesar out of power. They were looking for a natural kingdom to be established as a result of his presence on the earth. And they were shouting it, Hosanna to the son of David. Save now. They weren't talking about being saved spiritually because they didn't know anything about that. They were talking about save us from the oppressive regimes that presently rule over us. Save now, O son of David. And speaking of the son of David, they were speaking about royalty, that he would be the one who would be in the line of David prophesied that would come and, and, and be the Messiah, the one who would set up a kingdom that would have no end and there would be no, no cessation to its expansion across the earth. Uh, then he goes in uh, the next day and cleanses the temple. Now he did this at the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2 and he does it again at the end of his ministry. The cleansing of the temple uh, was that which allowed for people to understand the purpose of the temple. The temple was to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. And he emphasized that and it was unusual that he did so because he was a Jew Yet he cared about more than just the seed of Abraham. He cared about the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve. It wasn't just about the Jewish people. It was about all people. And so even in the temple, they had a place called the Court of the Gentiles in which the Gentiles, people like us who were not genetically Jewish, could come in and pray and seek God because Gentiles were not allowed across the court of the temple. But there was accommodation made. Yet... The accommodation was not kept as well as it should have been in that people who could make a dollar on folks decided to put wares and, and, and things they could sell there whereby folks could worship easier. So if you went to the temple and you needed to sacrifice, generally you sacrificed an animal. So it could have been an ox, it could have been a lamb, a sheep, a goat, it could be a turtle dove, could be a veg vegetable offering, something from the farm. But if you did not work in any of those professions, if that was not your gig, say you were a tailor, a mason, a carpenter, where would you get those things to sacrifice? 
Well, you'd have to go buy them someplace because the, the, the requirements was that if you did this thing wrong or it was time to sacrifice, you had to sacrifice this particular thing. Well, rather than having people go to different places to buy them, they would then set up things in the temple whereby it could be easily acquired. And I'm sure there were zoning requirements in Jerusalem that said you can't sell this next to the temple. So no lambs. No sheep, no goats, no. Why? Well, the same reason that when you go to the stadium, they don't have restaurants right across the street. You got to drive a little ways to get to them. Because they want you to spend all your money there. And they check your, your thermoses, don't they? Before you walk in so you don't bring any food. So you know what it costs for eight hot dogs in the store? It's about $2.50 for eight. Anybody know why they sell hot dogs in eight and buns in ten? <laughs> but you can get it for $2.50 in the store, but when you go to FedEx Field, it's $6.50 for a hot dog. And that's when they're on sale. You gotta pay $6 for a Coke. I'm not exaggerating. It's crazy. Why? Because they got you. They didn't let you bring anything in, they didn't allow a restaurant to be in the parking lot. No, no, no food trucks. And they got, and you're hungry, and they keep you there for three and a half, four hours. <laughs> you're hungry. This was the mindset of folks who established these pop-up vendors in the temple. It wasn't for convenience. Convenience would have been nice, but it was so they could make money on people's sin. Gouging. Jesus was hot. He was mad. This is why he took time to sit and make a whip. It wasn't him flying off the handle. It was him calculating what needs to be done to prove God's point about how he wants his house run. And he sat down and made that. And I imagine the disciples are sitting there thinking, uh-oh, here we go again. He did it the first time. He's about to do it again. Jesus, can we talk about this? I mean, they were just shouting your name yesterday. And why, are you sure this is the strategy? You, I mean, they love you. Why you won't make them mad? I mean, it didn't change anything from the first time you did it. They reestablished all their businesses to gouge people. Do we really? All these things were running through their mind, but they were afraid to ask because he was almighty God. They knew they'd get in trouble and get rebuked, and that's the last thing they wanted. So they just watched him make his whip. And he went in there and started beating the cattle because generally speaking, cows and donkeys don't move quickly. Sheep are different. They'll follow and they'll get out of the way because they're scared. But when something's a thousand pounds, it ain't afraid of you. <laughs> I'd have to listen to what you say. So you took the whip, and I don't know that he beat people. I don't know. He could have. There could have been some really stubborn people who would not listen. But I do know that he probably used these whips to get on the back of a cow and say, move, 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 move. And he overturned money changers. Why? Because their money changing was... I don't know if you ever go overseas... But do not exchange your money in the airport. If you need to exchange it, go to a bank after you get out of the airport. They charge more money there because they think, oh, these people think it's convenient. We'll just set up our shop here. So it costs more to exchange money because people had money from all over the world. But there were certain coins that you could only use in the temple in order to sacrifice or offer. And so that's where the money changed. And they made so much money. for it. Jesus was hot. And he beat up everything he possibly could, moved out stuff. 
And folks were now mad at him. They were calling him the son of David the day before. I don't know what names they were calling him now. But it was bad. They were all mad. This is how you wonder, how do you go from Sunday where they are lauding you and asking you to be their savior, thinking you are the answer. And then Thursday, crucify him. How do you get there? This is how. On top of that, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, he was talking to the religious leaders and calling them broods of vipers. Whitewashed tombs. I mean, he was going through it, and he wasn't calling them names in order to be mean. He wasn't mad at them in terms of, of, of being disgusted in a way that wanted to offend them. He was trying to help them understand the reality of how bad they had gotten. And it had been three years since they had not even received his ministry. He'd been to Jerusalem multiple times, and they still hadn't heard. So this was his last-ditch effort. Let me tell you how messed up you really are. You're a white-washed tomb. There's death on the inside, but you look pretty on the outside. It needs to be reversed. You need to die physically. You need to die spiritually so that you can be clean on the inside. He made, he made a lot of enemies that week. And not his fault. It's the heart of the people that was so messed up, they could not hear his correction well. Listen to me. When Jesus says something that's offensive to you, say thank you. Be grateful. Because he loved you that much to tell you the truth. He didn't want you to live in your stupidity and your sin and your, your, your waywardness. He's trying to bring you up. And if he has to say it that strongly, it's because you weren't listening for a long time. He's been trying to communicate to you very gently for a long time. And you just haven't been hearing. And so when someone says, after you've run through 16 bridge out signs, stop, you idiot. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad. They're trying to save your life. But after he had cleansed the temple, this is the very next day. He went back to the temple to sit. And I imagine when everybody saw him coming the second day, they were, uh, oh, oh, what are you going to do today? Whoa, 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 why is he here? What's going to happen now? Oh, man, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. But all he was doing, he made his point yesterday. He knew he was not going to fix anything, but he needed to make a statement about what God thought about his house so that people understood how important it was to prioritize God's priorities over theirs. Comes back the next day and he sits and watches. Jesus is very observant. Sometimes he just comes in the house to watch. Sometimes he comes in the house to cleanse, whether it's yours individually, talking about the domicile in which you live, or your personal house, you, comes to cleanse and he's bringing a whip and he's trying to make sure you understand what your, what your temple is. It's supposed to be dedicated to God, not to you. Amen. Worship is to be of him, not of your dreams. Everything you have is to be his. All your ideas about what tomorrow should be, should be filtered through his will. Everything, everything. And he comes with a whip in order for you to get the message sometimes. But then there are other times he comes just to sit and watch. See how you do what you do. To make sure you're on point. And here, he was watching how people gave. And there were some, some rich people who came and, and, and contributed a lot of money. Now, how did, did he know they were rich? Well, they kind of probably looked like it. The rich people wanted to be seen, generally, as being those who were contributing. 
not necessarily by the populace, but by the priests and others who might go door to door asking for a contribution, who might ask them, request for them to do certain things. So they want to be seen as being people who are regularly contributing. Now, from this passage, I don't want you to think that Jesus is in any way correcting the people who were wealthy who gave. He's not. He says these people gave, and that was good. Guys, look at this widow. And all the disciples were thinking, well, widow. Who? What? What do you mean? What? There was a widow in here? Jesus watches everything. Everything we do. Everybody. Nobody escapes his notice. If a sparrow does not fall to the ground outside of his watch, do you think he doesn't watch everything you do? All that you think, everything you say he listens to, don't think he's not watching. So I beg you, just as a side note, not a part of the sermon, be accountable to God for all of your actions, thoughts, and words. He's watching. What widow? That one there. You see, this widow came in and she gave two copper coins. And the copper coins, it says in, in the scriptures, as we read, amounted to about a cent. That was, that was written a long time ago. In our valuation today, it's about an eighth of a cent. An eighth of a cent. Why give it? Is it going to make any difference in the treasury? Are they really going to be able to substantively care for people with this money? Why in the world is it important for me to give it? I believe, just like you, when you get in this Bible enough, you're trying to find somebody who's going through your situation that helps you understand how to go through it best. Please tell me you do that. Please, please tell me you do. If you don't do that, start doing that. In the Old Testament, they did that. And in the New Testament, they were always looking through the Scripture, if you were spiritual, to try to find somebody who was doing whatever they were doing or going through what they were going through so they knew how to respond best. And for a woman to give this amount, which really didn't matter in the grand scheme of the budget of the treasury of the temple, for a woman to give this amount, you have to think she was inspired to do so by something other than just a good idea. And so I think she, she may have looked at what somebody may have done in the Old Testament, a widow to whom was sent the prophet Elijah, now, Elijah was an amazing prophet. Uh, he wrote one letter to one king, but he, have, he has no, no books in the Bible that he wrote. But the things he did were unusual because most prophets didn't do the things he did. Most prophets just spoke. He performed miracles. It was stunning. He shows up with Ahab. Ahab happens to be the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. There were two kingdoms at this time, one in the south, Judah, one in the north called Israel. Elijah was prophet to Israel for the most part. Ahab was a really bad king. I mean, really bad king. Did not worship God, didn't care about him, didn't care about his principles, nothing. Elijah comes to him and says, there will be no rain except at my word. Bye. That's all he says. They don't even know where he's from. He had no pedigree. He had no sense of, of, of letters after his name. He was just a guy who shows up and tells Ahab that. They say, who is that guy? After about six months, they're saying, who's that guy? Because it hasn't rained. Who, who is that guy? After a year, they say, go find that guy. They're on the lookout for Elijah every place. 
to try to figure out how in the world they can convince him to change this, this circumstance because it hasn't rained. And Elijah also suffers. When, when, when you prophesy no water in your own land where you live, that means you have no water. So he's stuck. And God puts him at a, at a brook called uh, Cherith, Cher, Chinnereth, and this brook gives him regular sustenance, and a bird, a raven, comes and feeds him every day, brings him food. And you say, why in the world would a bird do that? Couldn't God bring, and I don't know if you know anything in the Bible about clean and unclean animals. Clean animals were those which the Israelites could eat. Unclean animals were those which they could not eat. Clean animals, if they had feathers, they were birds, could not be birds of prey. They had to eat seeds and grain and worms. Couldn't eat carrion. If it was a fish, it had to have fins and scales. So it couldn't be a shark, couldn't be a, a crawdad, no lobster, no shrimp. <laughs> All y'all are getting happy. I was, I'm glad I was born Gentile. Ugh. And if it, had, if it walked on the land, if four legs, it had to chew the cud, which meant digestive things. You chewed it once as an animal, went down into a compartment in the stomach. It wasn't fully digestible yet, so you chew, literally brought it back up and chewed it again, and there were four compartments in the stomach. Animals like that, sheep, deer, goats, llama, cattle, you could eat those, but you could not eat pigs. Again, you're happy you weren't born Jewish. Could not eat pig, things that did not chew the cud, and they had to divide, divide the hoof. So a pig divides a hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud. Some animals don't divide the hoof and chew the cud, but it had to do both. And if it was a bug, <laughs> you don't worry about that. If it was a bug, it had to have two digits on the leg divided, three, six legs only, and then the legs had to be divided into two ways. When you, when, you, when you get to ravens, ravens are birds of prey. They're carrion. That's one of the reasons why the raven did not come back when Noah sent it out to see if there was dry land. He sent out a raven first, and it didn't come back. Well, when you, when you flood the earth, and there are only eight people on the inside of a boat, there are a lot of dead things floating around. And there was no reason for him to come back because there was enough to eat. So next time he sent a dove. And the dove came back because there was nowhere for it to rest or eat. And the only way it could eat is back in the boat. Crows, ravens, same family, they're unclean. And God had a, a raven bring Elijah food. Now, if it was unclean, not only could you not eat it, you couldn't touch anything it touched. So Elijah's sitting there thinking, okay, this book, this brook is providing for me. But you are sending me food from an unclean? Is this really? I, I don't understand why you're, this is. Uh. He was preparing him. For a year, this raven every day brought him food. And I don't know what the food was like. <laughs> I don't, I, I, just, I just don't get the sense that it was like our pigeons that have people feed them and then they take it someplace. I, 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 I just don't know. But whatever it was, it prepared him. For what? When the brook ran dry, he had to go someplace to be provided for. And there was no place in Israel that was safe. No place in Israel that was safe for Elijah. Everybody would rat him out in order to get some food. So he went to a place called Zarephath because God told him to. He said, I've, I've, 
commissioned a widow to, to provide for you. He's thinking, oh, you got a, you got a Gentile. You prepared me by this raven. I go into a Gentile. I got it now. Okay, cool. So he goes to this city called Zarephath, and he goes into the city. And as he enters, he sees a woman gathering sticks. And he says, <clears throat> excuse me, could I please have some water? I mean, in the woman's mind, she has to be thinking, dude, you know it's a drought. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've been under a rock for the last year and a half. But there is no water. Now, that's probably what the woman wanted to say. But hospitality in the Middle East is at a high priority. So if you need somebody, if you meet somebody who has a need for your bed, you give it to them. You feed them first. That's the way it is. Now, Western society has changed much of what the rest of the world does in the Middle East. But that's what it was back then. So you don't question. You just get. And when Elijah sees that she's, she's going to provide for him, he says this. Oh, by the way, could you give me a little food to eat, like make a cake for me? And that's when she pipes up. She says, my Lord, have you lost your mind? <laughs> now, that's what Brett would have said. That's what Brett would have said. But she says, my Lord, do you not know that this is a famine? My son and I, are go- I'm, I'm planning to get these sticks, make a little cake. I got a little flour, a little oil, and I'm going to eat this little bit with my boy, and then we're going to die. That's what she says. In order to drive the point home, no! <laughs> and Elijah says this. Let me tell you, if you will do this for me, make the cake for me first. Neither will the bowl of flour or the jar of oil run dry. Thus says the Lord. Until the Lord sends rain on the earth. You're sitting there and you're thinking, boy, that sounds a little selfish of Elijah, doesn't it? I mean, he's supposed to be a a minister of Almighty God. Shouldn't he care for people before himself? I can't believe he would require a widow who has nothing in the midst of a famine to actually provide for him first and not be concerned about his child or child. That's just nuts. (laughs) Please understand, Elijah's not being selfish. He's being benevolent. And I know it seems backwards. But Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom, and all the stuff gets added to you later. He was putting this woman in a position where she could seek first kingdom priorities, meaning provide for the minister first, and then nothing that she had would run out. He was thinking about her, but everything about the kingdom is counterintuitive. People, listen to me, in order to get, what do you got to do? In order to live, what do you got to do? It doesn't make any sense naturally. I hope everybody heard what these people over here said. (laughs) In order to to receive, you have to give. In order to live, you got to die. Everything is switched because Adam messed everything up. We prioritize us for all the wrong reasons. And because Adam gave us this horrible inheritance of a sin nature that requires death, God has to flip it in order for us to get what we actually need. He has to change our minds and our ways, our actions, our whole tendencies so that we can be in line with his will because we are thinking about him, us first and him second. And so Jesus tries to make this priority in Matthew chapter 6. The disciples, they are pressed, y'all. I mean, they are pressed. They've given up their jobs. They've quit everything they know to be true. Peter, the other, some of the other disciples may be married, but we know he was because his mother-in-law got sick and Jesus had to go heal her. So he had a family. 
And he quit his job to follow Jesus. And you know, that, that's a serious commitment. And, and then when, when Jesus says stuff like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And that's in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem Post gets wind of that. And they print it on the front page without qualification. Jesus is a cannibal. He believes in cannibalism. And, and you, you, your disciples are saying, you need a PR director. Because <laughs> you're not only making it bad for, for, for you, but for us. We're your followers. A bunch of the people that we have recruited to be a part of you no longer want to be a part of you. It says after that statement, many left. And then he had to look at the disciples and ask them, you leaving too? And their vote of confidence was this. Well, we ain't got no place to go. <laughs> Literally, where else can we go? <laughs> That's not loyalty. My point is, they were really concerned about their provision because this guy, they had attached their wagon to. And they didn't know whether it was going to really work out. And so Jesus has to prep them by saying this, I'm going to change your mind about how provision goes. Seek first the kingdom of God. Do not be concerned, Matthew 6, 25, about what you will eat or what you will wear or where you will live. For your father knows you need these things. Look at the birds of the air. They don't work or store in barns. Yet your heavenly father provides for them every day. Look at the lilies of the field, which are today grown and tomorrow thrown into the fire. And Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like them. Yet the father provides for them Every day will he not also provide for you, you of little faith. So I tell you this, seek first the kingdom and watch how God will provide for you everything else. Why? Because there are so few people who seek first God's stuff. Because everybody is seeking their own. And it's not unlike your corporation. Listen, if you are a really productive employee, don't the higher-ups figure out a way for you to serve the company better? Because you can really bring more profits. And so they'll do things like, would you like to go to school? We'll pay for it. Yeah? Um, we need to move you to a different spot so you can run our branch over here, and we'll pay for your children to go to school. And we'll pay for you your moving expenses. And we'll even give you a down payment on your home. Would you like a new lease on your car? If you are productive for their company, they'll do things to keep you around. There are not a lot of amens, which means there may not be a lot of people productive. <laughs> Am I talking to the wrong crowd? You're saying, oh, that happens? That really happens? I ain't seen nothing about that. Right, I like that. What do I need to do to get that? <laughs> oh, Jesus, help. Help, Jesus, help. <laughs> Where's my car? Where's my car? <laughs> but when, when God can find a person who seeks the stuff that's important to him, the one who is the master of the entire universe, he says, I'm going to figure out a way to make sure they don't have to concern themselves about anything else. I'm going to provide for them. Have, no, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your house. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to get you the resources necessary because 
So few people do this, and I need you like that. Elijah said to this woman, feed me first. Prioritize the kingdom. She made a cake, fed Elijah first. The bowl of flour, nor the jar of oil, ran dry until the day the Lord sent rain on the earth. Now, I'm, I'm over, but this is really amazing. Put yourself in this widow's position. Every day she's made a little cake for her and her husband, her and her, her child, every day. And there was less flour and less oil after she finished. But now she's making cakes and she's pouring out the same amount of oil and taking out the same amount of flour. And there's no diminishing of either. And she's sitting there looking. And I imagine she's saying to her son, watch this. Every day, every day, the widow comes to give. What would inspire her to give nothing? I mean, it amounts to nothing, y'all. An eighth of a cent. What would inspire her to even come to church to do that? Except she realized, maybe, maybe my God will help me because I ain't got nothing. But if I give the little bit of nothing that I got, maybe he'll come to my aid like he came to the widow with Sarah. So I'm going to go to church, and it's embarrassing, just flat embarrassing what I got to give. But all these people got the stuff, and they pour out their purses, and their bank accounts, and write stroke big checks, and do PayPal. I ain't got no PayPal account. <laughs> Here, Lord, here. Nobody saw but Jesus. Nobody saw but Jesus because nobody cared. And the point is not the little you give. (laughs) That's not the point. The point is that this woman had so little to give that she gave all she had even though it was just a little. And it captured Jesus' attention. There's something about surrender that is a fragrant aroma to God. My whole life, all that I am, Lord, it may not be much. I'm just a a kid from Kansas. No way I should be here. But my life is yours. Do with me as you see fit. I don't have all that I need. I surely am not all that I should be. But I'm believing that you're going to make me what I, what I should be and help me to do what I can't do on my own. So I give you me. And there are other people who are more, more, more proficient, more experienced, better able. But here I am. God sees. God sees. He's not looking for your capabilities. He's looking for your availability. <clears throat> and Jesus said this as I close. I saw all the other men, people who gave, all the people who were wealthy, not mad at them. Good, glad they gave. But this one here, she gave more than them all. Because she gave all. 
She had nothing left after she gave that. May we have that attitude. Please do not interpret this as a sermon that requires you to give all your money every week. Nobody's asking you to do that. That would be really wrong. What we are believing for is for everybody to give their all to God every day. All of your life, all your dreams, all your hopes, all your aspirations, all your stuff. So that when he puts his finger on whatever you've already given him, you don't resist. Because it's already his. Whether it's a car. My wife and I have given away a couple of cars. Not cars we didn't need. Cars that were in good shape. Gave them away because somebody else needed them. Resources. all kind, It's all his. And whenever he says, That's, that needs to go. Yes, sir. Done. I thank you for giving us the privilege of using it for a minute. Thank you. It was really wonderful. That's the way we have to be all the time. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and grace. I'm asking for your blessing upon these people as we move forward. Help us as a folk to be like the widow who gives our all to you.